Hello there. I'm delighted to say that this is the third season of What About You? This series focuses on people who have been wrongly convicted. If you think you have a story that fits with this theme, please contact me on richard at whataboutyou.co.uk. Hello, I'm Richard Moore, and you're welcome to the third series of What About You? Over the next few episodes, you'll hear the story of Sonny Jacob. In 1976, Sonny was a young mother of two children, Christina and Eric, when she was arrested along with her partner, Jesse Taffero, for the murder of two policemen. They were charged, convicted, and sentenced to death. After 17 years in prison, Sonny was released an innocent woman. But sadly, that was already too late for her partner, Jesse Taffero, who was executed by electric chair a few years earlier. This is Sonny's story. Welcome to What About You. Today I'm with uh, Sonny Jacob and sitting silently beside me is uh, Mr. Joe Murray from AFRI and Katie, who also works with AFRI. And if, I just want to thank Joe, because he's the man that introduced me to you, Sonny, many years ago in Derry, actually, right. when the Dalai Lama was here. And obviously, since that, he's reintroduced us for this chat we're going to have today. And also want to thank Ursula Moore, my colleague in Children in Crossfire, who has a very unfortunate task of having to write me about. <laughs> so, um, Sonny, you have a, a remarkable story. And I know when I met you back in the City Hotel in Derry, way back all those years ago, I think I might have been 2007, uh, I was really impressed and moved by your story. So it does stay with you. And just before we turned on the microphones here, you're chatting about some of the people that fed back to you when they've heard your story and how it's impacted on them. So that's really the that's the reason behind the podcast. So we can put it up there and people can listen to it at their leisure. And I have no doubt whatsoever they'll get encouragement from it and also inspired by it. So well, I was thinking, uh, uh, you're very welcome. I would like to start, if it's okay with you, at the Sonny Jacob before ever he ended up in prison and all the all the injustices that came from that. So where where were you born and where did you grow up? Oh well I was born um I've always lived by the sea somehow. Um I have a sea connection to the sea. Um and so did Peter, which we'll get to later. But um I was born in Rockaway. In, New, in Queens, New York, by the sea, by the beach. And um, I grew up, um, I started out there and we went, moved into this city briefly. And then um, I, we moved to Long Island as my dad did better at work and we were able to do better. We ended up in Long Island and it was at that time a very nice place to, a suburb, a nice place to grow up. Everybody you know, had a little house, and and it was it was it was very pleasant, and and things were very different than they are now. I don't know how it is there now, but um, it was a it was a nice, safe community kind of place to grow up. So I had that benefit. Yeah, I should tell you this. You know, I there's a Rockaway Festival that they used to hold at the beach every summer or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I was out with I run the Long Tower Folk Group in Derry and the Long Tower Chapel. 
and we went away to New York in 1990 and it was uh, the monks at uh, Iona College in uh, New Rochelle that kind of mm -hmm. looked after us. But they organised for the folk group. It was a young folk choir, you might say, of young people coming from Northern Ireland. And we actually sang at the Rockaway Festival. Ah, well, isn't <laughs> at the Rockaway another Beach. connection? So there you are. So uh -huh. uh, there's a connection Another connection. There. I actually ended up in high school in New Rochelle. So, so I'm familiar with the Iona College. When did you leave Rockaway? Or what did you, how long were you there? Oh, I was just, I was born there and was, you know, a baby. Um, my, my first memory, though, is from Rockaway of sharing an ice cream cone with a dog. Yeah. I always loved animals, apparently. <laughs> well, there's quite a few here in your house so far, I want to come on. You haven't seen half of it. Half of that. <laughs> there's only two cats and a dog. No, two cats and two dogs now in the house. And there's eight more cats outside. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, we started feeding a stray. Yeah. The rest is history. So, is not a, a mystery. Were you an only child, or was there other? No, no. My sister? brother was born when I was about four, three and a half, four years old, and uh, then um, that's it. I have one brother. Yeah. Growing up at school and all that type of thing, what did you want to be, or what, what did you plan to do? Uh, well, um, uh, at first I wanted to be a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then um, I wanted to be uh, a cowgirl and um, uh, I wanted to be um, to ride horses and I always loved animals so um, I wanted to be a veterinarian mm. but my parents didn't think I could deal with all that schooling and I wouldn't have been able to like dissect things and, or, or, or euthanize them or any of that stuff so um, I, I kind of gave up on that and then for a while I wanted to be a translator because I, I love languages and so I wanted to be a translator and work for the United Nations and make peace in the world uh, but um, my mom thought I should be a teacher so I didn't want to be of course but I ended up being a yoga teacher <laughs> in the end so you know what <laughs> it's really not up to us I, I was very good in school and um, uh, I graduated early from high school, a year early, and went to work uh, with my dad in the city and I felt like I was very grown up. And then I started night school. I went to started NYU night school and um, then the next year I started college. And I guess I was having too much fun on the weekends and I ended up getting pregnant and leaving school. And I, before I was 19, I had my son. So uh, that's what I did. Uh, I was raising my son and um, I, I tried continuing college, but I really wasn't able to keep it up. And um, so that's how that happened. At what point did you meet your partner, Jesse Tafaro? Well, he didn't come along till quite a bit later. Um, my son was, I think, six years old when I met him. And before that, I worked um, odd jobs. Like I'd work as a temporary uh, secretarial thing, or I'd work um, uh, telephone sales, or I would work um, uh, going door to door, selling subscriptions to magazines. 
I did whatever I could, you know, because to earn some money, yeah. Yeah, because I had a little boy, you know, yeah, I had course. to, I had to, um, uh, you know, support us. Uh, so I would work part time because then he'd come home from school, and uh, I had to, I would take care of him. So, but it worked in those days. It was, I think, easier. You could do that, um, and uh, so when he was about six, I had. I had worked my way up. I had a little car, and I was renting a little house with a little garden, so I could grow my vegetables. And um, I was vegetarian. And um, then I met Jesse through a mutual friend, and um, he was fascinating. He was funny and and smart, and he was interested in a lot of things that I was interested in. Um, meditation and Japanese culture. I always was fascinated by Japanese culture and I always thought I would end up marrying a Japanese man, which we're, we're, all, we're all laughing now, but you'll, you'll know why later. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and um, he was very handsome. Yeah, so anyway, we... Um, uh, and and he was very charismatic also, uh, so uh, we got together. And my dream at that time really was just to find a husband for myself, and a father for my son, and live happily ever after. That's all I wanted in yeah. life. That was it. I would be happy with that. You wouldn't even have to work. I'll work. Just just that was my dream. And he seemed to be the answer. He seemed to be the answer to my dream. And my son started calling him dad. And that was basically it. And he moved in and um, we became a family. Sonny, it emerged at some point that Jesse had issues in his past, didn't it? When he was young, he got in trouble and he ended up in prison. I didn't know that at the time until after we were together and he was the new dad and everything was wonderful. And then um, he revealed this to me. And uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, whatever it was, he said he had really hadn't done what they said, but... Whether or not he did his time, uh, he paid his debt to society, mm -hmm. and we were supposed to let them move on. And I wasn't going to let go of my dream. Yeah. So I, in, in a way, sometimes I think I might have been more in love with my dream than I was with the actual person. But it's irrelevant. We were together, and so I was going to do whatever I, was necessary to keep that going, Make it happen, which, yeah. which, yeah, which meant um, when he said he would have to leave and go somewhere else because he was afraid they would violate his parole because he had moved in with me without asking permission. So we packed up and left. And we went to North Carolina where my parents were living, stayed with them for a while. And then I uh, traded in my car for an old bread truck 
<laughs> and we went to the Salvation Army and got uh, a mattress and uh, we fixed it up like it was a, 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 an RV kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What do you call that? A camper van. And um, so we then took Started the camper van. Yep. And we, well, my son had to go to school. So we stayed there until the summer. And then um, we went in the camper van off into the mountains of North Carolina. And it was quite Sounds idyllic, lovely. really. Yeah. We, yep, we got us a little dog and a couple of rabbits and <laughs> picked up along the way. See, I, when going back to your first questions, I always was rescuing things. I mean, if I found a cricket with a missing leg, I'd get a little matchbox and put it in it and yeah. take care of it. And, and, and if there was an animal, a stray animal, I was always bringing it home. And so um, this was, this was lifelong. Yeah. yeah, it was just all my life. This yeah. is how I, what against, I did. Against the background of life you ended up having for a while, it's uh, quite a contrast, isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah. You're such a caring individual. So um, I guess he was one of my strays. <laughs> anyway, um, we, so we, but we had a really idyllic time. We had, it was a beautiful three years that we had uh, all put together. And um, sometimes, I so we'd camp up in the mountains. I had a tent too, so we had the, the van and the tent. And then uh, sometimes I would leave uh, Jesse and Eric up on the mountain and I'd go back down to the city and work for a while. I could work for my dad and then come back up the mountain and we'd live some more. There was, there, we just, it was so free and beautiful because Oh, look, we've never been down that road before. And we just go down that road just to see what was there. And whenever you saw a, a, a hillside full of berries, well, we never were in too much of a hurry to stop and pick the berries. How could you be? So it was a beautiful life, really. And um, so we'd stop and pick the berries and we'd swim where we found uh, water to swim and um, we camp where we found a place to camp, and it was just beautiful uh, up in the mountains. And um, it sounds like one big holiday. It was. It was a beautiful, yeah. free life. Yeah. yeah. And the contrast, as you say, even makes me realize it even more. The contrast where we were completely free. We didn't have to be any particular place at any particular time with any particular person. We were just free and enjoying being together, enjoying our life. And it was really nice. And I taught my son as we went along, I'd say, okay, there's a bridge, bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E. You know, and that was how he had his spelling lessons, you know, <laughs> yeah. strawberries, uh, you know. Uh, so um, it was lovely. It was a really a lovely way to live it to be. And um, then um, I got pregnant with my daughter and um, so we, toward the end there, we, we went back to the city and stayed with my parents and, um, got a little apartment, uh, you know, for now we're going to have another child. And so it was time to kind of settle down. And he had difficulty finding work because of his past. Yeah. So, and that, that can be a problem for anyone, even if they're not on parole or violating their parole. 
uh, anyone who's been in prison. It's very difficult to get a job or to get housing. So um, uh, he promised that we would settle down and he would find, he, he was a very gifted painter. He could do portraits, beautiful portraits. And in very, very short time, you know, one of those people who can just knock it right out, right in front of you. Yeah. And so um, he would go to these conventions at the nearby hotels, like whatever convention they were having and sit in the lobby and uh, do portraits. And that's how he'd make money or um, do um, most, um, like what they have in Derry the, on the walls. Murals. Yeah. Murals, yeah. yeah. He could do mural painting and anyway so he there were things he could do and he promised he'd um, kind of settle down and start focusing on doing that uh, and then our daughter was born and he um, for a while it worked out but it was it was hard he really couldn't sustain us that way yeah. and I couldn't go into work that much so he said some friends of his uh, had an opportunity for him back in Florida and he was going to go down there and make some money and then he would come back and try to do more with his art. Uh, and your son was called Eric, is that right? And your daughter Krista, is that right? Christina. Christina, yeah. Christina. Yeah. yeah, Eric and Christina. And so um, off he went and um, then a few days later I got a call and this job had fallen through and he had nowhere to stay and um, so instead of see these were my mistakes that I looked back on and and had to took a long time for me to forgive myself it's so easy to forgive everybody else in the world but yourself yeah. and because uh, you expect more of yourself than anybody else so that can be anybody else can make that mistake but for me that's not you know, and what was acceptable. the mistake do you think? Mistake made? number one was when he first said he that they might violate his parole and he had to leave. I should have let him go and straighten out his life and stay where I was in my stable home with my car and my son and my jobs. Yeah. I shouldn't have packed up and left with him. I should have told him to straighten himself out and then we'd be there waiting for him. Number two, he said he's stuck in Florida. I should have said, well, then, you know, do what you have to do to straighten your life out and we'll be here waiting for you. Instead, I'll come and get you. I'm rescuing my stray again. <laughs> and again, I, I packed up everything. This is, this is, this was me as an insecure young woman yeah. what who was desperate. You I was in my 20s. In your 20s, yeah. Who was desperate to keep her dream a reality and not let it fall apart. I didn't have the self-confidence to, 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 to say what I should have said. And instead, I uh, allowed my insecurity and hormones <laughs> to to wreck my life. And so I ended up in Florida with a broken down car, two children, and a guy who had no money and no way to help us. So I wired my parents for money, which is what one did. And, um, and then we stayed with some 
person that he was staying with, which was totally inappropriate. And then he said, oh, I have another friend we can stay with, which was even worse because this was a guy he knew from prison yeah. who obviously had not learned his lesson in prison and was still engaged in illegal activities, which was pretty obvious after the first night. <clears throat> and then my son <clears throat> had a nightmare yeah. that night. Right. And he said, Mom, Mommy, I dreamt that something terrible happened to you and Dad. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so that... I said, that's it. We're not staying here another night. And so he arranged for us to be driven to another person's house right. where we could wait for the money to arrive from my parents. And that's when we ended up in the car with this guy. Is that and... Walter Rhodes? Yes. That... Yeah. And that's when the whole thing happened. And we all ended up uh, on trial. And um, he it, uh, took a plea bargain to testify against us in exchange for three life sentences yeah. instead of the electric chair. And we ended up both on death row. You're listening to What About You and the story of Sonny Jacob. Coming up in the next episode. After he shot the policeman, he had the gun in his hand and he ordered Jesse to take us out of the car we were in and, in and put us in the police car. Evidence was hidden. The fact that they knew from the before we even went to trial that they were making the deal with the real killer, we were tried, convicted, and ultimately sentenced to death. Thank you to everyone that helped with this production, in particular, Enya Murr and Ursula Murr. I'd also like to thank Joe Murray from Afri in Dublin for introducing me to Sonny, and of course, a big thank you to Sonny Jacob herself. You're so generous with your time, Sonny, and I really appreciate it. <laughs>